and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, Role-Playing Games Edition, a once-a-month show where you talk about role-playing game topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're talking about the prep, the stress, and the fun of running your first game. How well should you know the rules? How much should you prepare for what the players might do? How many notes are too many notes? And what notes should you even bother to take? Should you even bother? Yes. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and Sahara Wentworth, plus the Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois, and a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. If you'd like to join us in Zoom, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I might actually be switching from Zoom in the near future. Um, not that that matters to anyone, but I just figured I'd let my co-host know that this might be happening. But in any case, if you want to join Zoom before we switch to something else, it's tabletopdavidhop.com slash live. And once we switch, that'll still be the place to go to join us live every Monday, 830 Central Time. How were your Halloweens? Very uh, nice. Mine, yeah, mine was really good. I handed out candy. Um... It was a fun time. I dressed up from Bob as Bob from Bob's Burgers, which is why uh, I am clean shaven right now because my wife, after I shaved my goatee, she let me keep the mustache for one day, and then she was like, "Nope, take it <laughs> That's away." Enough of that. <laughs> yeah, you now <laughs> look like a high school junior from the fifties. <laughs> you got the sideburns um, going. You got the hair, nice straight cut. Yeah, yeah. I, I expect feel you to be- like at your wedding. Chris was, like, really insistent. He's like, no, Fletcher is a lot younger than you, Kitty. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're the same age. And Chris is like, no. And now, like, he's telling you you look like a high school student. He never tells me how young I look. So I feel a little (laughs) insulted. (laughs) Kitty, you have a natural youth about you that it it takes no words. (laughs) That my children stole from me? Yes. That's basically what it is. Yes, having children instantly ages you 10 years and, you know, (laughs) we'll see what Fletcher looks like if he ever chooses to have children. (laughs) Yeah. It was my birthday, you know, a couple of days ago, so I did get a year older. I did mean to say happy birthday, but then I didn't. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> We're bad Thanks. friends. We're the worst. <laughs> I only interact with you people on Mondays. That's it. If your birthday's on a Monday, you'll get a timely birthday greeting of such. <laughs> That's about it. Um, Kitty, what did you do for Halloween? You got lots of munchkins. Um, yes, we, we went trick-or-treating around the neighborhood. My sister was around with her munchkin as well. And we, um, spur of the moment, bought a wagon not so that the children could ride in it, but so our cooler could. And um, <laughs> it was a very fun um, 40 minutes that our children lasted out there. <laughs> you? Uh, but I made everyone's Halloween costumes this year, and I actually finished them before Halloween and felt extremely accomplished. So I'm not yet to the making Halloween costumes. I don't know I'll ever be there. All my costumes when I was a kid <laughs> were made, but I don't know I can do it as an adult. Yeah, we were crazy. We decided to wake up Saturday morning and drive to the east side of Michigan. So it's about a five and a half hour drive. Oh, boy. With a almost three-year-old and just one-year-old. He he watched Mickey Mouse Club the entire way, so he was great. Uh, I expected her to sleep at some point. She slept for an hour and was otherwise okay, except for the last half hour where she just started screaming, like, I want out of this chair now. It's always the last, like, I don't know how they know. It's like, I am 20 minutes away from where we need to be, and I am not going to be happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, was, it wasn't it was too bad. They took to sleeping in a strange place pretty quickly. Um, and then we did trick-or-treating on Sunday, 
And Zachary is, he'll be three in January. And one of the most adorable things, he's he, he's wearing Chewbacca, a Chewbacca full outfit. <laughs> and if you ask him what he is, he's like, I'm a kitty. And I'm like, certainly are. You're a kitty named Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, and he has a Thomas the Train like little basket that he's putting candy in. So he runs up to his first door with his cousins and he gets a Kit Kat and he runs back. He shows us the Kit Kat. He's like, look what I got. Can I open it? And we're like, no, you get to get more candy. He's like, okay, for the next 10 houses, can I open it now? Can I open it now? Can I open it now? Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that this is torture for little kids. It's like, here's all this candy you don't get to touch. (laughs) That's not nice of us. See, I immediately opened a pack of like M&Ms or gummy bears and just fed them like one at a time until they like realized like, oh, you know, like this is like a thing we're doing. Um. The, the thing we kept having a problem with is uh the kids like understanding like there's a threshold that you do not cross of the household it's like you know like it is not normal to take like half a step into someone's house to get the candy <laughs> it's like back it up back it up children <laughs> two steps back this is not our like chance to peek in all of our neighbors homes <laughs> my favorite one was so a few people had like tables set up in their driveway and yeah. there was a garage that was open and there was a fan and he's just fascinated with fans. This is just like a pinwheel fan. And he just walks right by the table with the candy, goes to the fan, which is right next to the open garage. And the woman inside the garage is like, oh, you saw the big candy bars. That must be what you want. So I got a full size Snickers out of it because he just wanted <laughs> to point at the fan. And I'm like, we're, we're just going to go with this. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, my kid, every time he picked up a piece of candy, he's like, oh, this one's my favorite. And I had no idea that his favorite is just candy. Yeah. Was, yeah this... <laughs> Look, mom, it's my favorite. I'm like, wow, you are making every house feel fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way to go about it, though. Yeah, Zachary really yeah. only likes chocolate and a chocolate with nothing else in it. So he'll do M&M's and he'll do Hershey's chocolate bars. Anything else, he's like, I don't like this. I'm like, I do. So then that's because my favorite. <laughs> Good thing I do. And I'll eat it. <laughs> yep. Player three will eat literally any candy. And player four also would like to eat literally any candy, except like 90% of candies are still choking hazards. And um, it is a struggle every time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me kill myself on candy. I just want to put the peanut M&Ms in my mouth, all of them at once. <laughs> Not chew. Yes. Yeah, that's that's basically what I want to do too. Peanut M and M's I like. Regular M and M's, no, they're just they're pointless. I don't like them. I like all the M and M's. My kid calls them yum yums, and I love it. <laughs> but um, we're here but to talk about gaming. Let's talk about gaming. <laughs> so speaking of Halloween, um, Kitty has inspired this episode. Yeah. Because you want to run a Call of Cthulhu game. Now we're not going to talk specifically eh, Call of Cthulhu. We'll bring of. it. We'll bring it up, Delta Delta Green. This yes. we're going to keep it relatively generic. We're going to put you in a situation where this is going to be useful for anyone who is thinking about running their first role playing game mm-hmm. and what you need to do. Playing in a game, there's nothing you need to do. Show up. Everyone else will, you know, the the person running the game will help you, or other people around the table will help you. Playing a game, that's not hard. Running a game is a little bit trickier. So. I, I threw some questions down here 
And Kitty, I'm going to ask you some of these questions and then they're going to, you know, spark conversations and we're going to do what we do and, you know, talk about stuff. So why do you want to run a role-playing game? You've been a player for quite some time. Why, why, why shake it up? Why get to the other side of the screen? Why do this? Um, I mean, it feels a little less urgent now that you decided that you like <laughs> Call of Cthulhu, but at first... Um, I decided I wanted to run a Delta Green game because I listened to some people playing Delta Green and I was like, this is amazing and I want more of this in my life. And often the reason people decide to run a game is no one else will run this game. So <laughs> I'm going to run it because I want to play it, um, I-, I think is the answer there. Yeah, which is a fine answer. I have a question for you, though. So you were listening to actual plays. Yes. I think that Critical Role, which if you're not familiar with Critical Role, is a the most popular D&D actual play YouTube Critical Role. Um, apparently, it's brought over half the people who play D&D into D&D. Um, it's crazy. But it sets a standard that's kind of unrealistic. Like, your game is not going to be like Critical Role's game. They're all professional improv actors. You listen to you listen to your Delta Green actual pay, and they're mostly all professional improv actors or comedians in some way. They are not. They are at this point professional role players. One of them is a writer. One of them was an actor. They are just people who've been. They're they are not critical role. Sure, I don't but, know. Like they no, no, are. They are but, very much more. Um, I'm going to insert fart jokes into this game in a hilarious like. They're they're not jumping into scenes. They're like some of them still have a hard time remembering which character voice they're supposed to be using and when. Like which, you know, so it's not as polished. It's sure. much more. But they're still they're still trained and they're they're trained entertainers. I mean, they're, yeah, like I, but they I but, like it because it feels like sitting at the table with us, but they're a little bit funnier. Yeah. But it, it's the relationship that they have with each other that is fun to listen to. I don't listen to it because like, oh man, this is such great storytelling because honestly, the story that they are telling a lot of times, it they run pre-written adventure paths. They're doing Pathfinder adventure paths. They're doing pre-written scenarios for Delta Green. Um, it's not their writing. So, so well, my question really is, is your expectation that it's going to be like that or is your expectation, like, what are you trying to reproduce? I enjoy the um the the game situation. I I like um you know the moments that happen and like I know our group. I've played D&D with us enough times that I I have faith in you guys to, you know, create some fun moments and some excitement <laughs> and you know that kind of stuff like you know, it might not be fun for other people to listen to, but it's fun for me to be a part of it. Um, and, you know, so I'm not coming in without any role play game experience. Um, like, I think some people watch Critical Role or something like that with no actual play, like, or no, you know, real life play experience. And they expect real life role playing games to be like Critical Role. Whereas I know there is a difference. And I started listening to actual play podcasts because we weren't playing anything for a while because, you know, life and kids and stuff. And I wanted to find that experience in somewhere else 
that I could like fill that void for a while until we could start playing again. But it, you know, I I understand the the differences there, so I'm not expecting the same thing out of those two experiences. I know that you know it's going to be us playing this same game that I like. Li- but like, I started listening to them play Pathfinder because I liked playing Pathfinder, and. Then I listen to them play this other game, and they play that game the same way they play Pathfinder, which is similar to how I play Pathfinder. So I want to play this game similar to how, you know, we would. That was really convoluted. No, but it, it, it makes <laughs> sense. This is why you don't I let me talk that. more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it makes sense. And actually, it's not a bad thing. If you want to run a game, um, watching other people run the game, whether they're quote-unquote professionals or, or not, mm-hmm. it's still going to give you a better feel than not playing or running at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're not going to take my style in running games. You're not going to take Spencer's style in running games. Mm-mm. You're not going to take Fletcher's style in running games. His style, Fletcher, do you have a style running games? To not. Yeah. It's, it, it's Fletcher's style. <laughs> Fletcher's style. <laughs> <laughs> it's to find someone to run it so I can be a player. Yeah. <laughs> and that so, has been my style. style. <laughs> yeah. So, what have you done to prep for this game so far? Um, I started reading the book that you gave me. It's <laughs> a good start. Yep. Words were on pages and I digested them with my eyes. Um, you know, and this is something that like I kind of got bogged down and I was like wondering like can I just skip some of these chapters? <laughs> but it's tricky cuz like <laughs> like any good book. <laughs> yes. Um well, no, because it's it's a rule book, and there's, like, a lot of history. There's, like, a big history chapter. And, like, it's cool, and it's fun to know, but it's not actually the rules of the game, and I don't think I need to know it all to run a session. I'm going to know if I'm playing in your game, and you miss one of those history moments, and I'm going to be irate. It's going to ruin the You know, the game a lot me. of this says... He's going like, to, um, actually you. Yes. <laughs> It's so funny because in Delta Green, and I don't know about Call of Cthulhu because I haven't read that book, but it says, like, your players won't know this, but a lot. I'm like, so so they won't know if I don't know this. So I can just, like, three pages ahead here. Yeah. So if <laughs> nobody knows this, then why bring it up? Yeah. And, you know, I can see how if you're creating your own storyline or if you're trying to write your own material, this is really great reference material. This is really good ideas, jumping off points. But if you are running a pre-written uh, scenario, I, I don't know if I need to read this, you know, 30-page chapter <laughs> on the history. Wow. Yeah. It's like the corn cob pipe all over again. <laughs> so, all right. So, I if you listen to our last episode, we talked about Call of Cthulhu. And then I think two weeks mm-hmm. later, our post-credits, we talked about the game itself. Because mm-hmm. um, I was in a similar situation, not that I've never run a game before, but I was running a new system. So mm-hmm. I will I will say, as someone who is experienced running games, the amount of content I read from the Call of Cthulhu books to prep for the game was approximately 12 pages. Yeah. Because all <laughs> I needed I to know was the basic <laughs> rules. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else. Now I did go through like the player's guide and the keeper's guide, which is the dungeon master's slash game master's guide. Um, I went through probably every page. I flipped through them and I stopped at things that I thought were interesting. Uh, and, and that's it. Because really, just kind of getting a feel for a flavor of the game is really all you need. 
Because what I presented to you guys was only what I knew to present. And there were times mm-hmm. when my players, <laughs> Bunny, um, would be like, well, <laughs> actually, that wouldn't have been in that town at this time. And I'm like, just shut up. Shut up. I didn't say those words. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm just like, shut up. It doesn't matter. I don't care what the reality is in reality. You are now in a game. This is my reality. This is my reality. (laughs) And you really have to take that and not get flustered when someone like, you know, well, actually is you. And Mm -hmm. it part of it is picking your players. Like, I know that Bunny is like, she's going to do that regardless of the setting. That's just who she is. She wants to tell you how it really is. You know, Mm -hmm. our vampire game. It's, you know, let me tell you about the Yacht Club, right? You know, it's, yep. and and when you go into a game knowing you have a player like that, it's okay to just tell that player at times, understood, great, or just ignore it completely. And yep. it'll, it'll often just take care of itself. But for the most part, if you're running your first game, pick a small group that you trust that are going to be not necessarily forgiving, but not all that demanding of like, I want you to give me this world as accurate as possible and just have all fun right, with Fletcher, it. Fletcher, you can play in my game. Chris, you're uninvited. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> but I mean, it, it really yes. is. You want to have, because your first role-playing experience, if you have a bad game master, it can be a terrible role-playing experience as a mm-hmm. player. No pressure. Yes. And, and that we talk about that all the time. But as a game master, if you have a bad player, the same thing can happen. And the odds are, because you're outnumbered four to six to one, you're going to have a bad player sometimes. And you have to, like, that's the thing that you have to be just like, okay, be prepared to just say, not in this game. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the, like, if I was going to, you know, do this for real, or when I do this for real you know, five years from now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just really like our D&D group. Yeah, yeah. And I know that it's like, you know, silly to be like, I only like the people I like. <laughs> um, and I like to play with other people. <laughs> and I'll play games at conventions too. And But it's easier knowing like, oh, this is like a one-time thing. Yeah. I don't have well, to see these people again. I don't have to maintain a relationship with any of these people. You know, it's just like, oh, they sucked and I can move on and that's fine. Yeah. Or like, well, not even they sucked. It's just like, that was not my style of play. Cause you know, there's, there's, you know, whatever floats your boat out there, yeah. find people who you like to play with, but I yeah. like us. And I think <laughs> you actually will have a good group because again, you're playing with your same group, but someone who might be listening, just keep in mind, it is okay to simply say, not covering that, not like, yes, I know, or not in this parallel reality that we're living in or whatever Ooh, the case it's is. It's a bluey moment. We can, we can have a bluey moment about this. This octopus can. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this one can. In this yes. this it works this way here. Um yeah. so just be prepared that once you do gather your players and again, this could be you want to run something online, maybe you want to run a convention game because a lot of times that'll happen, right? There's I want to play this game. I don't know anyone to play it with. I'm going to this convention. I'll put a session out there that I'll run, but I've never run this game before. Now, if you're super brave, I've never run any game before, (laughs) and I've never run this particular game as well, and I'm still going to put myself out on the convention 
circuit, just don't tell your players. Your players will have no idea. They really won't. <laughs> like the only time they'll know you're new is if you tell them you're new, which is fine too. You can say, I've never done this before. Um, so that said, let's talk about, you've never done this before. And I ask you how grenades work. You know, just to throw something out there that I do not expect you to actually know the answer to. Um, and if you do, we're going to pretend you don't. Um, you know, it's basically I'm asking you a question about how does how does the rule system work for this particular thing? What like what do you what expectations of yourself do you have in a situation like that? Um, so I would like to have kind of a general idea of how this like so you know if we're if I'm presenting you a scenario. If I know, oh, they're going to find a cache of grenades, I should know how the grenades work. <laughs> um, but if a player comes to my table and says, hey, I created this character. Here's my equipment. It includes grenades. I expect that player to know how grenades work. <laughs> and if yeah. they say something that sounds good enough, fine. But if they're like, hey, I throw a grenade and it kills all the people. I'm like, tell me how the grenade works can you explain that you know can you can you point me to the page number where you found that information um or maybe just that's not how the grenades work in my world i don't know <laughs> you know i i don't it it all depends on the player in the situation i think um you know if it's spencer i will immediately say like no you broke yeah. this what's wrong what did you do wrong? <laughs> yeah well, how did you what break did this? you do wrong yeah um but if it was somebody who's not you know my darling husband, who is notorious for breaking rules, um, I would probably be nicer about it. But also like, hey, nicely, how did you break my game? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or just let it be broken and move on to the next thing. Have have a plan for like, okay, that's not how I saw this going, but that's the story now. And here's the aftermath. <laughs> All of those answers are correct. And I, I think any of them could be the wrong answer depending on oh, they're all the wrong situation. Too. They're all wrong, too. They're all right, yeah. and they're all wrong. You have yeah. to be able to read the situation. And I expect the first few times it comes up for me to probably mess it up and uh, figure it out as I go. Yeah, And I will say it depends a lot on the situation. Like, it depends on your group. It depends on the situation. It depends on what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. when I was teaching you guys how to play Savage Worlds, that entire first session was lots of stopping and looking up the rules. Mm-hmm. That was the expectation, though. We're going to play yeah. this for a longer period of time. This session is a rules lookup session. It's it's mm-hmm. not going to flow smoothly. When I was doing Call of Cthulhu, there wasn't a single time that I ever wanted to stop and break to look up a rule. So in that case, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a firm understanding of the basics and anything else, I'm going to make up on the fly to keep things moving quickly and, and smoothly. And hopefully so quickly that you won't even realize that something worked in an odd way or I dodged, literal dodged a bullet in one situation or another. I will say, though, in that situation, you you had a lot of control over our characters and their equipment. So anything that we had on us either was anachronistic and didn't fit into the world, we couldn't really use it, or you gave us a card that said, this is your uh, gun, this is how it works. And therefore, it's a lot easier to control. You don't have the character running in with the grenades that you didn't know existed in this world. Well, and I assure you... you, It it makes it a lot easier. (laughs) If I don't know the drowning rules, I'm not going to have someone try to drown you. Like, that's that's a very common thing, too, is like, 
just avoid the situation that you don't want to deal with. Like, <laughs> nope. Now, if you wanted to say, well, I grab this person and tie a rock to them and throw them to the bottom of the lake or something, I'm like, okay, we're going to hand wave. That person is no longer in the scene. They're a human? They We're drowned. Done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Moving on. Right. They're so, a monster. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Monsters don't drown. You're yeah. out of luck. <laughs> so Fletcher, just to bring you into this, um, instead of doing your taxes, um, you're doing your mid-December taxes, right? Or mid, mid-November. Uh, mid-December? <laughs> yeah, I already got all my Did tax I miss a couple months? Don't you guys? <laughs> Every, Fletcher gets a jump start on these things. Um, when you're playing in a game... With an because you have played well, I've I've played I've DM'd you a few times and you know Cthulhu and whatever. But when you're playing with a new game master, what are your expectations of that experience? Like you're sitting down to play a game, what do you expect out of that game from the person running it? Um, I guess I expect that they they have an idea of what they want to accomplish in this you know scenario in this setting in this time frame. And that, you know, they have a decent idea of what of what the rules are most of the time. Um, they don't need to know, obviously, every single rule, because I think um, one way that you can make the job easier for, as a player is to know all the rules for your character or n- mm-hmm. at least know most of them. Um, and um, yeah, I actually don't come in with like a lot of expectations of like what they need to do besides just like run the group, set up a scenario, and have a rough idea of what they want to accomplish in the session. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. How much is okay for Kitty to ask us to do before her game? Because I know I'm not going to read a $300 or $300. I might read a $300, <laughs> a $300. player's handbook, but I'm not going to read a 300-page $300, $300 handbook. <clears throat> well, because, I mean, because we know Kitty and this is going to be, I don't know, Kitty's like first time, you know, being a being a GM or one of the first times she's ever been a GM. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, be a jerk about anything, you know, and I'm gonna do the best I can to help That's her out. Spencer's like, job. When we when we have characters, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when we when we have our characters, like I'm gonna read all the rules about my characters to, to know how my character works, to do all the heavy list, lifting for my character, so she doesn't have to worry about like. I don't have to turn to her every, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Can I do this? Can I, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's almost a little easier, too, that, like, we would all be learning a new system together. Because I think it's, like, if I was running D&D, I would feel a lot more intimidated than I feel with the thought of, um... Running Nobody knows. So... Yeah, because we're all (laughs) learning it together. Yeah. Like, we are creating... it. It's like we all know each other, but we're creating like a new space that we are all in together. I don't know. Like if I was stepping in, I would feel if I was DMing a Dungeons and Dragons game, if I was DMing, um, like I'm filling Chris's shoes. It would feel much more awkward to me than I'm creating a new role for myself. Like I am the person who runs our Delta Green game. I'm not Chris running... um, D&D. I'm not Spencer running Vampire. I'm not even Chris running Call of Cthulhu. It's like they're it's different enough and we're new enough in that world that I feel less pressure to do things a certain way. You can find your um, own flavor, your own feel, your own way of presenting yeah. and playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I don't think I will ever DM for our group 
a Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> it's just no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Number one, Too it much. sounds a lot harder to do than Call of Cthulhu slash Delta Green. Seems like there's a lot more, you know, stats and stuff and combat, at least the way I like to play that game. And that's why I will never play Pathfinder again, because Chris doesn't want to run a Pathfinder uh, game, run and <laughs> I will not run a Pathfinder game, um, and no one wants to run a Pathfinder game, but there's so much fun to play. Debatable. But <laughs> maybe, maybe you can, having never played Pathfinder, but have playing Dungeons & Dragons, you know, three and a half, what, what makes Pathfinder so much fun to you compared to you know, fifth edition D and D or anything else. So, well, go ahead and Kitty answer this, and then I will answer why this is not a good choice for running your first game. <laughs> and Chris will tell you why you're wrong. No, 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 no. Go ahead and start. Kitty's going to handle and then the. Chris play- will fix it. Kitty's going to handle the player side of it, and I agree with her on the player side of it. Um, I love. I don't know the the combat and the crunchiness of it, and like. Being able to like really build your character, I think it's a really, I don't know, I, I love the rules. I love all the rules. <laughs> it's it's an I, endless I amount of customization. Yeah, so much customization, so many paths you can take, so much stuff you can do, um, paths to find, perhaps. Even. <laughs> um, oh, I see what you did there. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, you can customize your characters in so many cool and interesting ways you can make them like set up to make this certain thing happen um and i love doing that i love to like have this crazy thing like oh man when i can pull off this combination of things it is amazing which is why i keep trying to make my crazy wizard do my shadow blade stuff even though it does not make sense but i just want it to happen once um but anyway that's why i love it yeah, so in, in Pathfinder, obviously, there were a lot of people that their first game they ran was a Pathfinder game, and they made it through just fine. And you can do it. You just have mm-hmm. to start at level one. Um, yeah. There's a reason there's a level one. The characters are much more straightforward. They're much simpler. They are not nearly as customizable, although they're still <laughs> grossly customizable, even at level one. And the adventure scope that you'll be running is very limited. So you don't have to learn a whole huge, you know, monster spell list and deal with, you know, 15 different things, doing 15 different strategies and tactics. It's like, no, there's three goblins and you're fighting them. So you can keep it, you can do it, you just need to keep it small. The problem with Pathfinder that I found that makes it excruciating to run is it doesn't scale. It doesn't scale for the players. It doesn't scale for the DM. It doesn't scale for the fun. It just doesn't scale. The game breaks past level eight. And it's just to a point where if you have fun breaking things, then yes, you could have fun breaking it. (laughs) But it also becomes like panic inducing for whoever is running the game because your characters are all customizable, but so are all of the uh npcs and bad guys that you come up against once you start fighting like human bad guys or you know other sorts of monsters that have like you know intelligence and spell lists and all these things you have to not just know you know how the rules work for the players and what they're doing you have to know these like monster crazy long spell lists and all of their abilities and how these certain things work and so it just becomes 
so much yeah. for somebody to run, and especially these higher level play. The Glass Cannon is doing this now. They're in book six of an adventure path. They are level 16 characters and they're coming up against monsters that are in there and like they just talk about like oh my gosh this is insane i can't believe we're doing this and if there weren't a podcast listening to us that we feel like we have to finish this we'd be done with this by now because it's nuts and no one should be <laughs> yeah. doing this unless it's their full-time job <laughs> yeah and i'll say this is for running your first game even if you're not running high level pathfinder whatever you happen to be running in your first game limit the scope so it is it is human nature to have a vision in your mind. And when you want to go out and run something, you have this grand vision of it's going to work like this and here's the storyline and here's uh, how this is going to work and then they're going to do this and they're going to do this and they're going to see that. And you get these grand scopes. Don't start there. Never start there. And Kitty, I'm not saying you you will be starting there or anything like that. I'm saying for anyone's first game, plan for the entire game to play and run in under four hours. And that will be the end of the game. Plan that. See what happens if things are differently, but don't plan past four hours because you're already going to be overwhelmed by so many things. If you're trying to tell an epic story at the same time as trying to keep track of the rules and keeping track of the NPCs and how do guns work again and wait, this is a guard dog and he's a pet and can you command that pet? And like, is that an action? You are going to just overwhelm yourself to the point where it's not going to be fun and you're not going to enjoy that experience at all. So that's just my advice to anyone running your first game. <laughs> keep it simple. Two to four hours is a perfect first session for your first time. Just get out there, start running it. And and then if your players want to play again, or you want to play again, do another session, two to four hours. And just take it one small session at a time before you start planning out that grand, epic, Brandon Sanderson level world building extravaganza. Speaking of world building, <laughs> how much world building should you do? This is where the notes, the the getting ready beforehand. Like, what are your what are your plans for this part of the of your adventure, Kitty? How much are you writing down? How much are you planning out? What are you doing there? So, um, I I feel like I'm skipping like eighty of your questions here, but um, I'm planning on running a pre written scenario. I do not want to build a world. I do not want to. Um, come up with what kind of monsters or whatever it is populate that world, at least not for my first time or probably for my first many times. Uh, somebody else is very creative and smart and has written a fun scenario out there. <laughs> figured all this stuff out. And they you. figured it out for me. Why, why am I going to do extra work when I know, like, I can see why, especially like in um, D&D or Pathfinder where People have played a lot of the pre-written stuff out there, especially the really popular stuff. Like everyone has played Rise of the Rune Lords or whatever it is. They all know it. They know the story. They know the NPCs. I want something new. Um, you and you can start homebrewing and creating your own world from there. Especially if you've played together for a long time, everyone's kind of on the same page of that. You know uh, the game really well already at that point. But you know what? I know that none of you have read very many Delta Green scenarios because none of you knew what Delta Green was until I started talking about it last year. So I feel like I'm pretty safe here. And there are some really, like, ones out there that people really love and that I can, like, know, oh, this is a good one. And, you know, I, I can do a minor amount of research. And the heavy lifting is there ready done for me. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, this goes for everybody, too, because – 
typically players aren't reading adventure modules or adventure yeah. books or any of that thing, regardless of the system, regardless of whether or not they know the system. I can run any D&D adventure for you guys, pre-printed or not, because you're, you're not reading them. They're not interesting to mm-hmm. you. That's not how you build your character. There's no character options in an adventure book, and therefore, I'm not going to worry about it. Except, oh, I can be a bird if I have this book. Well, I'll just go to D&D Beyond and, oh, look, the bird's unlocked. So I can do that. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So never worry about whether or not your players know the adventure or not. Even if you have a player who knows the adventure, you know, a la community, right? I've got the adventure, so now I know how. (laughs) It's still your adventure. And the one thing, this is my bit of advice on running pre-generated things, um, because I've tried doing this and I hate hate, hate running pre-gen stuff. I can do it for two to four hours, like Adventurers League type mm-hmm. of stuff, two to four hours, no problem. But even then, I do the same thing as you should always do for all long adventures is get the gist of what's going on. Use it as a source book, not as a like canon. Mm-hmm. Here's an encounter I find interesting. Here's a storyline I find interesting. Here's 53 storylines I don't find interesting and therefore are never <laughs> going to be brought up during play. So yeah, I think it, it's really great to... Um, pick and choose from your source material what you like. And that way, as long as you're doing what you like, you're going to be having fun. And I think that's something that really like makes it fun is if someone else is having fun and you can tell that they're having fun, it automatically makes you have more fun. Yeah. And for me, I want to have a reason why the players are there. Well, why the characters are there anyway. And mm-hmm. if the adventure doesn't give me a good enough reason for those characters to be there, I'll just... Add it, you know, whatever makes it comfortable for you. You can also just say, there's no reason that you guys are together. You just are. And for the sake of this adventure, you are a group that has reasons to be together. Um, so this is something that I um, was thinking about is I would probably do a session zero for this game. If we were like, even though it's going to be probably like a short term, you know, two to four session kind of mini campaign scenario, whatever you want to call it. It has a special name that I've forgotten in Delta Green, but no one cares about those words. So, <laughs> um, I even though it's going to be something short, I still would like to do a session zero because I think it's important um, for us ca- to kind of all be on the same page when we're starting a new thing. And I also just think it's fun because I think when people are creating their characters in the same room, they're bouncing ideas off of each other, they're coming up with reasons why they're part of this world, part of the scenario, and everyone's kind of learning the rules out loud together. Uh, I think that's really helpful for me as a player. And I also think that for me running the game, it would also be helpful as well, because I know what you guys are bringing into the game, what I need to read up on before we start the actual game. Um and for those who are unfamiliar with what a session zero is, it's the session that comes before session one, which sounds, <laughs> it sounds like, yes, obviously, but session one is when the story starts. It's when the play starts. Session zero is when the ground rules are set. And there's no definite structure to what a session zero can be, but oftentimes it's here are the types of characters that are valid and let's build them. Here are the house rules I may be using or not using. Here's the tone. Um, there's no going to be no of this type of thing or that type of thing. And it's also a place if you know you're talking about you know 
this is off limits. So we're playing a horror game. Hey, I don't want to have to deal with this particular subject matter. Um, now, if you're playing with a group you already know, typically you you understand that, but it still doesn't hurt to just say, hey, is anything off limits? Because, mm-hmm. you know, just throwing that out there, let me know. Um, so that's really all your session. thing. Whatever, you know, because Spencer runs Vampire, and Vampire is also a horror game. And I talked, I was like, if you want me to play in your game, there will be no baby danger. I yeah. do not like baby danger. I will walk yeah. out of the session <laughs> if we have baby danger. And he's like, okay, I understand. And, you know, like just being on that same page and like it's even in shows. If that comes up, I'm like, we're turning this off and I'm walking away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, having young kids will do that to you. And, and you don't even realize it, but it does. And that's the thing is yeah. like you can be friends with someone for decades and all of a sudden they have, you know, a toddler and certain things become off limits. You know, and that just there's all kinds of things that maybe you don't know. So just keep that in mind. It's it's not a terrible thing to just say, hey, you know, where where are we putting these? Where are we drawing the lines? Yeah, lines and veils is what. Especially in horror games, it's very important to know. Yeah. No, this is a line. (laughs) On the other side of that, we talked about learning rules. I actually like session zero, zero to also have a combat encounter especially if there's any kind of combat rules. So for a Delta Green, I could imagine, okay, we're going to create our characters, and now we're going on a training run. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, arbitrarily throwing you in the middle of an encounter. You know, you're breaking down the house, you heard something there, and you're, and maybe that is a clue that leads you into the fuller adventure. But the idea of that encounter is everyone has permission to stop and say, okay, how does this work? It's not... Yeah. It's a pre. What, what am I thinking? It's not a prequel. It's a, a pro epilogue, prologue, prologue, prologue. Yes. Prologue is the word you are looking. For. That's the word yes. I'm looking for. Prologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't even have to. That's 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 actually not a bad idea to be like, how did the mechan- like? I think I know how the mechanics work, and you play them, and you're like, oh, I actually don't think I understand how the mechanics work. So you can get through all those kinks first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. So and especially I, when everybody's new. Yes, especially when you're it's a new system. It's just it works out really well. And that's how I introduced Savage Worlds to you guys. It's like, okay, we're gonna play this. And that was like, okay, we're gonna play a session, we're gonna build characters so we know how to build them, we're gonna play a you know, a quick battle, and then all of a sudden you guys are like, No, 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 we wanna bring these characters into the actual campaign. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the intent. <laughs> so Yeah, and I think, you know, you, I've learned from your thing there because you were like okay we're going to build these characters for this one time thing and then we're going to build our real characters and we were all like no I've become attached to my one time character you can't take it away from me I'm not going to bother with that and we might you know do like this is a dream sequence fight where like if anyone dies you're going to be magically resurrected by session one and you get (laughs) to actually decide that so that's the great thing about having being behind the screen it's like okay so you're going to this house you have this mission if they succeed they get a clue if they fail you make sure they fail miserably the entire house explodes and then you all wake up in a cold sweat and this is where Mm -hmm. we'll pick up the next session you get to decide that and it doesn't have to be pre-planned you can just let it let it go let see where it goes and riff on it like that's the most fun once you start riffing on what the players are doing that's when you start having fun running a game because now you're playing the game with them you're not just reading you know the next passage out of a book uh there was something oh also respects oftentimes from the players like after that session zero 
And even after session one or two, I'll often allow complete respects. My character's not playing the way I expect. So, and just letting, you know, especially for new players and new groups, if you're going to run a little mini campaign, just say, you're not tied to any of this stuff yet. We're all still learning. So, you know, sure. You know, and maybe you want it to make sense. You know, let's okay, let's justify why you're doing this or whatever. But um, in general, it's just kind of a nice thing to do because it takes the pressure off of you because it takes the pressure off the players. And if someone's mm-hmm. not having fun with their character, now you're going to feel that. You're going to feel as like, okay, my character's so stupid. Like, I didn't know this or I didn't know that. It's like, no, 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 just change it so that just you're having it, fun yeah. with it. So I don't have to worry about you having fun or not. Yes. As the player who often changes their character, although not too big. I would say I usually figure it out, like, you know, two or so- three sessions in. <laughs> Fletcher's laughing because he knows how many times I've changed my little wizard. <laughs> like, wait a minute. No, I want it, I want my wizard to do this now. Yeah, I, like- I only did one serious respec. The rest I- was all just in leveling. I like the respects. By because- the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that you will learn very quickly when playing a game is you are going to learn the system... X times faster than anyone else. X being the number of people at the table counting yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Because you are essentially needing to learn the rules for all of the players. Now, the players are going to help you with that. It's like, well, I can do this or I can do that or this skill does that. And you have to be okay saying, okay, what skill do you have and what does it do? Now, you can look it up. Like, it, there's a big old chart in Delta Green, not chart, but, well, there's a chart, too, and there's also 14 pages of skills. So you can look it up, and you can read the half Indexes. a page on each thing. <laughs> like, you can do that. It's way better to say, okay, Fletcher, what does, you know, investigative reporting allow you to do? Mm-hmm. And then and the Fletcher can And the other thing I like about um, Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu is there's a lot of flexibility of, like, you know, we're – we are choosing together, like, what skill makes sense to do this? And I think, you know, looking at the pre-written adventures and that kind of stuff, you know, it tells you, like, oh, they need to have this kind of skill. But I think, you know, if you know your group, you know, oh, well, no one has that skill. But there's an adjacent skill, and I'm going to make it a little bit harder because they're going about it a back door, you know, that kind of stuff. With that flexibility, it's not just, like, you have to hit this perception check or you don't see anything. You know, they're... I enjoy the flexibility of the system, which is why I am intrigued to run it more than other systems. So, and, so enjoying that flexibility. Yep. And you never have to obey the rules. If someone doesn't, if, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I don't know if you guys realize that I do, but like a perception check, it's usually everyone at the table rolls. And as long as you meet a certain threshold, it's the person who rolled best that gets the information. So mm-hmm. the information is going to get out there. It's about who finds it in the group. Now, if everyone rolls terribly, I can spin that too to be an interesting thing. It's like, okay, nobody saw the, you know, code in the corner that has the keys in the pocket. Fair enough. Now we'll we circle back to that. Lock. <laughs> yeah. But there'll be something, there'll be some way around that. And if it's absolutely a requirement to move forward, then it shouldn't be a role. It shouldn't anyway. be a role. Yeah, yeah. At least not a real role. So I hate <laughs> when people say it shouldn't be a role. Because then you can say, well, nothing really should be a role. But then it's a story. Rolling dice is important. Making the players feel like they have those skill points, they've invested time building their their characters is important. It's making those roles have enough flexibility where you will get the information you need. It's how well you get it or what 
are the repercussions of getting it poorly that matter. Yeah, I think we talked a lot about this in our failing forward episode, where yes. failing the role doesn't mean you don't get the information. It means there's a consequence along with the information of some kind. But yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think, you know, doing a podcast where we talk about role playing games, you know, once a month is really, I, I feel like I'm better prepared than other new game masters, keepers, storytellers, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, but I still, you know, it, it's not a magical like, oh, well, I know everything now. <laughs> you know, so that I'm, I, I'm not feeling totally out of my depth with the idea of doing this. Which is why I'm still thinking about doing it. <laughs> but um, you what know, is your, so anyone out there thinking about it, just just go for it. You can do it. <laughs> what is your biggest concern, whether we've talked about it or not? Like, what is the thing that you're most, I guess, stressed about is the easiest way to say it. But, you know, the thing that you're most focused on, like, uh, this part makes me a little bit unsure. I don't really know if there's any one thing that's holding me back anymore, um, except just having the time to like to, actually to do read the scenario yeah. sit down and <laughs> yeah. run it you know like it's hard enough to get us at a table it's hard enough to get us on a zoom call on a friday night to play D, let alone like in person for like a four session commitment at least that's like i don't know that's the hardest part is finding the time fletcher not to you- toot my own horn <laughs> i feel like <laughs> well- i'm smart i can handle this <laughs> yeah. Fletcher, what about you? Like you, you've not you're not against running games, but if if I said you know, hey, pick a game, you're up to DM or GM or keep or whatever the case may be, what would be your like? What would what would you? How would you approach that? Um, I would probably buy and read the Dungeon Master's Guide or Handbook or whatever it's called because <laughs> I haven't done that in forever. Um. And then I would probably just like get it, assuming that I'm doing this with you guys and that you have a, you know, pretty good grasp of the rules. I'd probably just come up with, like you said, a very loose scenario of what I want to happen within like a two to four hour time span and not spend a lot of time crafting a story, but spend more time kind of like, um, putting together like a few pieces and a couple combat scenarios and, thinking like this is probably what's going to happen and and leave it loose like that um but just pick out some you know monster types and then some areas ahead of time that i can i can easily pull from and be like okay like looks like you guys are going in this direction so you guys are going to be like facing off against these kind of things or or whatever that's that's probably i would something along those lines yeah i will say that pre-run adventure or pre-written adventures seem like they would be easier to do it really depends on the size of the adventure. If anything over, say, 32 pages is probably more is more difficult than you think it's going to be because it is going to span multiple sessions. It is going to expect certain things to happen at certain times. And it's going to create a, a series of events that's going to feel like you need to put your players on rails. It's just the way they are. Or... The other way is it's going to give you so many different options that you might as well be doing your own thing because there's so many different things that you could be doing. The latter is a little easier when you just say, okay, I'm only going to present certain options to the players anyway, so I only have to prep those. But if you're doing like one of the Cthulhu uh, adventures is literally three books, three 
large <laughs> books, which wow. is completely impractical to run. It's meant to take like two years of weekly play to I was gonna say, It's a campaign. It's not <laughs> yeah. a scenario. Yeah. And it's more along the lines of an adventure path. Like it's it's like comparing an adventure path to a Pathfinder Society like one off. And for there those who don't know, yeah, things <laughs> adventure paths in in Pathfinder are meant to take you from level one to level twenty, typically. So they're meant to be yeah. played over one to two years on a regular basis. They're split up into six sections, so you could potentially stop at any one of them. But they're they're a novel. They're they're just a huge thing. Don't even bother doing that. Find the skinniest adventure you can find. Read that front front to back and then back to front. I actually read all my adventures um, back to front because I want to know how it ends before I know how it begins because that helps me understand why all these things are happening. And it sounds silly, but it really does help. Just read the last section first, then the section before that, the section before that. And by the time you get to the beginning where it's like, and the heroes come into the town, you already know what needs to happen. And you're going to be, it's going to be the easiest way for you to just kind of like, oh, I get it. I I know what's going on. I know how to run this. And then you read it front to back along with that. So you can kind of get that pacing in there. So, and, but Fletcher, you're saying that you would just like, eh, I'll just make something up. Yeah. Probably. I just like pick a setting, pick a a few different monster groups that I could familiarize myself with. Because most of the case, when we sit down to play D&D, you're going to run into like, you're going to do a little bit of dungeon crawling, whether that's in a dungeon or a house or, you know, whatever, or a city. You're going to have like, you know, a couple combat scenarios and then, you know, a few NPCs that you're going to question and talk to and they're going to give you quest or something to do or something to look for or something that you need to buy or want or something like that. So I'd probably just do something along those lines. Well, actually, you bring up a good point, too. Because it's your first session, and even if you're running a pre-made adventure, you can take out the things you're not comfortable with. If you're someone who's like, you know, I can run combat, no problem. But once we get into this haggling, you know, negotiation, diplomacy stuff, I'm not as comfortable playing different NPCs and all that. Just get rid of it. This is your first session. You don't need to put everything it's an NPC. in it. The NPC can cannot compromise. Yeah. It's like, this is what it is. The NPC is going to give you 200 gold pieces. Take it or leave it. Oh, you're going to leave it? I okay, try to session negotiate. over. Okay, roll for negotiation. <laughs> you fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but I mean, and he you draws can, a sword. Oh, and that's the other thing, though. You can totally resort to just letting the dice do it. You know, talk in third person. There's no reason you need to talk in first person for any of this stuff. You know, the prince doesn't like you. I make a charisma check. Okay, the prince likes you a little bit more. Okay, I want to do whatever. Okay, make a diplomacy check. Oh, you failed. Okay, the prince really hates you and kicks you out. You don't have to role play those scenarios. You can let the dice do that for you. But if you want to role play those scenarios. By all means, go ahead and do that too. Um, just it's your game. Do what makes you feel comfortable. And if something's taking too long, or if you feel like uh, you know I don't know where I'm going with this, or I'm getting lost, or you know, like a typical one of our podcasts, you just advance to the next subject. <laughs> just move on. See what I did there. <laughs> so, Kitty, do you have any questions? If you could ask one question to a master of running games. <laughs> What Do we know one be? of those? No, no. I don't know. <laughs> First, we have to know one. Um, she doesn't have I a don't, question. 
I don't know if I have any like specific questions like, oh, um, I don't know. What do you wish someone had told you before your first game? So my first games were in high school where I didn't realize that you were supposed to be concerned about any of this stuff. So we just ran <laughs> games and had fun. Um, but I was out of it for probably a good 10 or 15 years before I got back into it in fourth edition. And in fourth edition, um, I gathered all my friends, whether they played role-playing games or not. Most of them did not. I'm like, hey, I want to play this game. Can we all get together and play this? And everyone said yes, because they're your friends, right? It was catered. You know, different people were bringing different like treats and snacks and all this stuff. And I was trying to run a by-the-book three-encounter adventure. And it was the worst thing ever for everyone <laughs> involved. It was so bad because I was so concerned about making sure everything was in the right spot and all the hit points were being tracked and everyone was playing by the right rules. And I was so stressed out about getting the rules and the adventure right, I couldn't have fun. So that's the thing that I would say. I have to go deal with a child. Sorry. <laughs> that's the, But that's the thing I would say is the biggest advice to new players or new DMs is don't worry about the rules. They are the least important thing when role-playing. For those people who think rules are important, especially if they're players at the table, it'll be important to them and they'll help you with the, those rules, the ones they care about. But the rules and the adventure are unimportant. Balance encounters don't matter. Don't kill off the group. If you throw 18 goblins because you think the party can handle 18 goblins and you know two people go down and you have 16 goblins left, guess what? Those goblins don't kill everyone. That's a terrible thing to have happen. They find some other reason to be like, eh, these adventurers are nothing to us. We're going to walk away. Like That's the type of thing that is important as a new player or as yeah, a new I, DM to know. I think I think what you're saying, even though I haven't really done this that much, it's like it's, if you're the DM or the GM or, you know, the keeper or whatever, like you are the rules. Like no matter what the rule book says, you can be you can just decide what makes sense to you in your world and um, just come up with, you know, like you said, if there's 18 goblins and there's no according to the rules, there's no possible way that level ones can defeat that like. Well, maybe in your world they can, and or maybe something else is, comes and scares them off, or you know whatever. Like just just make it up. Doesn't doesn't really matter. Yep. As soon as it's not something until it's something at the table, right? Nobody knows that you know there's not a giant you know bear in the woods that also loves eating goblins that jumps out of the forest and starts eating goblins, and now the goblins run away, and you see this bear eating a goblin, and then you run away. You know, nobody knows the bear wasn't there beforehand and it makes for an interesting story oh man we just barely escaped that bear you know enter the burlog they run away <laughs> exactly a bell <laughs> you know it, it's Bellrog. yeah it's it's that kind of thing that allows you that that's the poetic license you get to have as someone running the game and it allows you to make mistakes and fix them in real time without your players knowing but don't tell your players either don't say, oh, man, I, and I've actually been in a game where the DM would like just stopped and said, oh, oh, you guys did something different than this adventure expects you to. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you win and the game is over. We've been playing for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. <laughs> Apparently, we burnt down the factory. And by doing that, that was enough to like just ruin the entire adventure for him, right? As opposed to just moving 
the situation to someplace else. It was, oh, you broke the game, and therefore it's broken. Don't worry about that. You can choose to move things and change things to make them fun for you. All right, Kitty. I think Player 4 is telling us (laughs) that we are at the end of an episode. So Yes, I really love it when uh, Spencer's out of town for business. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Super fun. All right. Well, we've done an episode. So, Kitty, why don't you take us out of here? And we will report on this particular adventure, which I'm going to encourage Kitty to make a single session as opposed to four sessions. Um, That's my only real advice. Um, Mm. Whenever it happens, we will talk about that. In the meantime... Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find a link for that in the show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by your patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letgo, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Nicholas Lotz, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom. Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Baz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Dan Seed, Ryan Ellett, Danita Hersey, Courtney Falk, David Wagoner, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Fable, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, David Garner, and Darren McClellan. And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So the biggest challenge to being a new G- new DM, GM, keeper, kitty, is the one-year-old monsters. Yes. <laughs> it's time I think that's the, bi- the biggest challenge to everything I try to accomplish in my life is my darling, lovable, sweet, sweet children who stop me from having a life. But at the same time, I think it's also one of the most, the best reason to do it is for those <laughs> few hours that you're at the table everything else just kind of disappears. And mm-hmm. assuming that you got a babysitter. Um, but even then, <laughs> while you're at the table, it's like, I'm in a different world. I'm in a different place. I love my kids. I love being around my kids. But at the same time, when I get to pretend that I don't have kids, that's kind of just a nice break. And it reminds me when I get back to them how much I still love them. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love my kids. And I love having a break from my kids. And having a break lo- makes me love them more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go feed your kid. Um, (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.